Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. With me as our host and teacher, Chris Katolka, we are once again preempting our scheduled programming to bring you a special report on the war in Israel. In times like this, we need trustworthy information. So today I'm turning the tables on Chris and asking him the questions we're getting most often this week about Israel and the war. If you want to view the entire video or share it with a friend, it will be at foiradio.org. And Steve, we are more than just a radio program uh, and a podcast. We want to make sure that we're actually helping Israel during this difficult time. So we want to call on our listeners to get involved here with Friends of Israel by going to foi.org forward slash stand with Israel. When you go to that website, you'll be able to donate to help give to Operation Life Shield, which is providing bomb shelters in sensitive areas of Israel along the Gaza Strip and Lebanese border. You'll also help Magan David Adom, Israel's National Red Cross, which helps during medical emergencies, especially as Israel is about to go to war. So if you'd like to partner with us, be sure to go to foi.org forward slash stand with Israel. We're going to get to our interview in just a moment, but first the news. The New York Times has updated its previous report on a tragic explosion at a Gaza Strip hospital last week, acknowledging that their initial account was overly reliant on statements from the Hamas group. In the editor's note, the newspaper acknowledged it relied too heavily on claims made by the Hamas militant group. Well, Steve, here's my take. New York Times, you're only a week late to retract your statements. The damage is done. Now, if I could for a moment simply say to journalists covering the Israeli-Hamas war, when you're taking statements from Hamas, anything they say, you should take with a grain of salt because it's probably a lie. Some of these big questions, these questions that we've been getting recently, that's what we're going to discuss today. Chris, thank you for being with us. Hey, Steve, thanks so much. One of the questions I'm getting a lot recently is, how do we navigate all the misinformation? What are some of the resources you turn to? Well, we've already seen a lot of misinformation going on. Uh, just about a week or so ago, um, we know now that Hamas was launching rockets and they hit the Gaza hospital. But right away when that happened, uh, the New York Times, Reuters, AP, most of the uh, media um, that spread throughout the world immediately cast blame on Israel and they claim that they got their information from Hamas. Well, again, this is why it's really important to know where you're getting your information from because media is very quick to jump and to uh, make accusations. Uh, that's pretty bold to put in a headline that Israel was the cause of the, of the bomb attack on that uh, Gaza hospital. So again, one of the major reasons why it's important to have good accurate information is because it th that region is so sensitive uh, that having uh, good resources, responsible resources, um, is going to give you better clarity as to what's going on between Israel and Hamas. And, you know, we have some great resources that we like to look to. Number one, I'm a big fan of going right 
to the source, which is Israeli news sources. A lot of Israeli news sources not only publish in Hebrew, but they also publish in English as well for the English-speaking world. Uh, So, for instance, Jerusalem Post is a great resource, very responsible resource. Um, uh, There's another one called Israel National News, which does a fantastic job of reporting on the events that are happening uh, in the war. Uh, Those are your more moderate to um, uh, right-leaning journalists, where when you you go to Haaretz, which is another Israeli uh, uh, newspaper, very popular one. Haaretz is leaning more left, um, even into some of the progressive realms. It's kind of like the New York Times of Israel. There are some great resources out there, though. I always like to make sure I'm touching on the Israeli sources. Another good one is Ynet News. That one is a little bit more of a conservative uh, outlet for uh, finding out what's going on in Israel. Um, But it's, again, really important because there were very few media uh, outlets uh, that were hesitant to respond to the Gaza bombing that happened at the hospital. Uh, They responded right away and they were wrong. That's the big thing. And by the time that information was out, it was too late. I think I had read somewhere uh, that one uh, newspaper had reported online that uh, that Israel had attacked a hospital in Gaza, um, and it was viewed three million or four million times. But then when they retracted it, it was only viewed two hundred thousand times. So you can see how the damage is already done. That's why I, if, if you're really responsible when it comes to this, you're not just pulling for one party or the other party, whether you're just thinking about Israel or, or the Palestinians. If you want good, accurate news, I think you should start with the news sources in Israel. Yeah, I think it's great what you said about making sure your sources are reputable. One way to do that is to go to foi.org news. We have a, a daily digest Monday through Friday of news that you can trust coming right from our own website. Now, the Middle East is incredibly complex. There are a lot of terms out there. There's West Bank, there's Gaza, there's Hezbollah, Hamas, Sunni, Shia, all these things, starting with just what is in the news now. How do we differentiate the Hamas from the Hezbollah? Can I start with what's similar about them? Uh, What's similar about uh, Hezbollah and Hamas is that they both have the same goal, and that is to destroy Israel and to basically push Israel off the map uh, through any means. Um, That's what unifies them. There are differences. There are theological differences between the two of them as Muslims. Like you said, one's Shia, one is Sunni. Um, And so that becomes important in the way that they think theologically, but also, again, they're still driven by the same passion. In 1982, Hezbollah was founded by the uh, Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard in response to Israel. They exist to destroy Israel. That comes directly from Iran. Hamas is a political party, a resistance party against Israel as well that was formed. Uh, their, Their charter was created in 1988. And again, they have this stated charter um, to ultimately get rid of the Jewish people out of the land and to destroy Israel. That's baked into their charter. One of the things I like to remind people is we often look at the uh, Hamas or Hezbollah, we look at them as, as terrorists, and they are terrorists. We've labeled them terrorists. But people don't realize that Hamas uh, was actually, is actually a political party. They govern the people that are living in Gaza. 
In fact, if you go back to 2006, uh, the Palestinians held an election. They haven't had an election since 2006. But uh, in 2006, they held an election for both the West Bank and Gaza. Now, the world was watching as these elections were taking place, and they were expecting, the world was expecting for a very popular party of the Palestinian people called Fatah. They're kind of the, what, uh, they try to claim them as a moderate party. Uh, They're a more secular kind of party in the Palestinian world. And what ends up happening in 2006, to the surprise of many people, is that Hamas won. 56% 56% of the 132 seats in the in the legislative body for the Palestinian people in both the West Bank and Gaza. The, you have to think about this. 56% of the seats were won by Hamas. Those are Palestinians who elected Hamas both to rule in the West Bank and in Gaza. It created such a firestorm that a a civil war broke out between the Palestinians and what ultimately ends up happening is Hamas governs the people living in in Gaza while the uh, Palestinian Authority, the party that actually lost, um, uh, they actually take control of the West Bank. There haven't been elections since. I'm convinced one of the reasons there hasn't been elections uh, for the Palestinians is because they are really concerned that Hamas could not only take control in Gaza like they are now, but once again win in the West Bank, which would create a situation. So there is a big difference. Um, there are differences uh, in, in how many of these terrorist organizations, because it's not just Hamas and Hezbollah, it's Islamic Jihad, it's um, many other resistance groups. Uh, there's splinter groups that break off, um, but they all have one intended goal, and that one intended goal is to destroy Israel. So they work together there. There another link between these two entities, Hezbollah and Hamas, is of course Iran. Iran funds them. Iran is where they get their money from. Iran is what encourages them to commit these acts of terror against Israel. Iran has been very blatant in wanting to destroy Israel. Uh, they constantly cry death to Israel, death to America. And so what are we seeing? These are the proxies. These are the hands of the, of, of the Iranians to do the bidding of what the Iranians want done in, in Israel. And it works. Uh, you know, most people don't focus on Israel until Israel has to respond to rockets that are being launched from Gaza. Do you know 25,000 rockets have been launched between 2006 and uh, 2023, 25,000 rockets. The only time the media kind of, you know, begins to peer in to see what's going on is only when Israel responds. But the reality is, is that rockets are being launched over all the time. That's the bidding of Hamas. That's the bidding of Hezbollah looking back to Iran, which is the one who funds all of this and encourages it. So if you could help us out geographically, when we go to Israel, we've driven through, at times, the West Bank. Mm-hmm. We've never driven through Gaza. Help, help us out just in understanding the size of Israel and where Gaza is and where the West Bank is, maybe in relation to Jerusalem. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Israel is only the size of New Jersey. It's a very, which is where we are right now. It's a very small state. I was just at a dinner party with some friends and they were asking me questions about 
Israel. And I said, you know, this is just the the same as if there were rockets being launched from Cape May, New Jersey, up into this area. And they, it kind of hit them as to how close it was. You know, we're only, what, an hour and 20 minutes from Cape May. Um, and some of it's even, you know, closer for a lot of the Israelis. Um, you know, if you look at Israel kind of as a, a map here, down here is the Gaza Strip, which is where the uh, um, Hamas is. In this area along the border of Jordan in Israel is a section called the West Bank. Israelis don't call it the West Bank. They call it Judea Samaria. That's actually the name of it. Uh, the, the Western world, the journalists, the politicians, they label this the West Bank because it's the West Bank of the Jordan River. Um, and so really the technical term for it is Judea Samaria. Uh, inside the West Bank are several terrorist organizations, plus the uh, Hamas is in the West Bank as well, as well as Palestinians of various factions of other terrorist organizations, as well as just Palestinians who want to live their normal life as well. And then up on the northern border between Lebanon and Israel is where Hezbollah is stationed in Lebanon. So again, it's a very small place. We're talking about the fact that you can travel from the northern tip of Israel on the border of Lebanon and be down in, uh, in Jerusalem and two and a half, three hours. Um, and as you said, you know, we've traveled through the West Bank. West, uh, the West Bank is divided up into various areas itself. There are some that are Israeli controlled. There are some that are Palestinian controlled. We often don't go into the Palestinian controlled territories, but uh, the West Bank is a, a, um, a, a fabric of, uh, uh, of different various peoples who, who control the area. Some are Palestinian, some are Israeli controlled. You mentioned thousands of rockets over many years. Why is this different? What is different for Israel? And why did they go in now? Well, the big one is that uh, on October 7th, Hamas did something that they've never done before, which was to come in. They actually broke through the barrier that was happening, the barrier that divided Gaza from Israel. Um, uh, they broke through it. They flew uh, parachutes over, uh, gl gliders over. Um, they destroyed the fence. They broke through early in the morning and they butchered innocent Israelis. They butchered them. Um, uh, they took away in infants, three-month-olds, all the way up to 90-year-olds, even a Holocaust survivor. Uh, and the way that they murdered these Israelis uh, is something that is uh, reminiscent of the Holocaust. Um, so this, uh, this act is why Israel has to go in and to ultimately destroy Hamas. You know, in the past, Israel or Hamas would regularly send rockets into Israel and uh, fortunately, Israel developed what was called the Iron Dome system, which would intercept these rockets. It has about a 90% success rate. So as Hamas was ro launching rockets up, Israel's Iron Dome would meet those rockets in the air so that they would never reach an intended target. Um, but this was much different. Um, this was butchery. And really, you know, I was going back through our old Israel My Glory um, uh, articles from 2006 and 2007. And I was so uh, surprised, uh, actually I should say I'm, I wasn't surprised, but I was glad to read that our statement was this. We were defining Hamas when they first took power in 2006 here at Friends of Israel. And in 2006 and 2007, we were calling Hamas at that time 
uh, genocidal organization. Um, we saw it coming. Yeah, I think a lot of people saw it coming, but I think what happened is, is that the Western world, the politicians, anytime Israel would need to go in and finally take care of Hamas once and for all, they were, they were asked to throttle back. Please, go easy. Uh, you know, uh, slow down, Israel. And then eventually things would wind down. Maybe there'd be some ceasefire and then we'd go on with normal life. But that didn't mean rockets stopped coming over. It just meant the media turned their attention somewhere else. And so, you know, ultimately what we're seeing is that this act is an act that took it over the edge. Uh, innocent Israelis were carried away. Innocent Israelis were butchered. They were butchered. I mean, there are things that we can't even talk about on this video that the Hamas had done to innocent Israelis. And so I think that it, it is the reason why Israel can no longer stand to let Hamas be in control. Once and for all, we have, they, they have to end Hamas rule in Gaza. It's not largely reported, but Israel, as you and I know, they will drop leaflets before there is an operation in Gaza. They've called phones and let people know to get out of this location before or specific location before a bomb were to come in because of Hamas hiding behind orphanages or hospitals or mosques. Mm -hmm. So the world right now is seeing maybe one side of the issue, and they're asking Israel to stop. Uh, is Israel's response appropriate? Especially after what we saw happen on October 7th, yes, it's appropriate. Uh, number one, Israel is still uh, acting in a humane way by telling everybody that's living in the major cities like Khan Yunus and Gaza City um, to get out and go to the south. Um, Israel at this point has every right to shut off any crossings into Israel and Gaza. Um, uh, so do I think that they have a, the right to respond this way? Yes. Um, I wish they would act a little bit quicker in getting in to root out the situation. I'm, I'm sure that there's a good reason for it. Um, but uh, I think that they are responding in, in, in good proportion to what they received. Plus, again, I, I don't think people realize October the 7th, uh, what happened that day was just the tip of the iceberg for what's been going on since 2006. Again, I, I, it, this is why it's hard for me when I read the media. It, October 7th was a massacre, but it was something that we've seen developing for more than a decade um, as rockets were constantly being launched over, as Iran was funding them with money, that they never ended. They never quit their uh, intention to destroy Israel. And so, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is an ongoing situation. And finally, this is the moment that defines the reason why Israel needs to go in and root out Hamas once and for all. What's at stake for Israel? What if they didn't respond? It'll continue to fester. That's the thing. It's a, the, the, the Hamas problem has festered over the years. Um, and it's, it's just kind of grown to the point to what we see now um, becoming the reality of what happened on the morning of October 7th. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I, I think it's important for Israel to root out Hamas once and for all so that this doesn't happen again, because it will happen again. Uh, like I was saying, our old Israel My Glory articles were calling Hamas a genocidal organization, you know, 15 years ago. 
And now here it is 15 years later. And, you know, I was reading through saying we've been telling people this would happen if it wasn't dealt with once and for all. The problem has festered to this point. Any humanitarian aid that goes into into Gaza becomes uh, a tool for Hamas to use against Israel. I saw a photo of a Israeli who was captured and brought in. They sent the photo um, that Hamas had texted the photo of this Israeli. And underneath the Israeli were bags of humanitarian aid from Japan. And I love what the person from X, which was formerly Twitter, wrote. He said, Japan, maybe now you'll think differently about sending the humanitarian aid uh, into, into Gaza because look, it just ends up becoming used for terrorist uh, activity. Um, and so again, I think it should really wake up the world as to the reality of what's going on in Gaza with Hamas. And I think the intended goal is we've got to get Hamas out of here or else it will fester and continue to happen. And Hamas is not using the resources to build infrastructure. They've built 300 miles, is it? Yes. Of tunnels underneath of Gaza, which are all risky for Israeli soldiers to go into. Um, so the big question, I think the question I'm receiving most of all is how can we pray? We mm -hmm. talked about the complexity of the Middle East. How should I pray? Uh, number one, uh, I do think you should be praying for the Israelis and the Palestinians. Both are made in the eyes of God. Both are made in the image of God. Um, both need prayer. Um, do I believe that there are innocent Palestinians in Gaza who are suffering right now because of the, uh, the abysmal leadership, uh, the evil leadership, I should say, of Hamas? 100%. Um, but uh, I, we also need to be praying for the Israelis. The Israelis are in a time of mourning. Uh, they're in a time of pain. Uh, they just... October 7th hit them. And I was just listening to a report that said there is not one person in Israel that doesn't know somebody that was um, killed in that massacre that happened on October 7th. So everybody has a, a, a name that they connect with that moment. Um, it's personal to them. And so we need to be praying, number one, that this operation that will take place, this war, will root out Hamas once and for all, not just for the Israelis, but for the Palestinians who maybe want some resemblance of hope and some resemblance of any freedom or whatever that could come as a result. The one thing that's not only injuring the Israelis, uh, but also injuring Palestinians is Hamas. Uh, and so we need to be praying for both the Israelis and the Palestinians. For the Israelis, I think we need to be praying for wisdom. This is a very difficult time for Israel because they were just a few months ago or a few weeks ago before October 7th, a very divided country uh, politically along the political lines. Um, now they're unified under this banner of defeating Hamas. But we need to be praying for wisdom from the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, to his cabinet. Um, we need to be praying for uh, the IDF leaders. We need to be praying for the IDF soldiers that will be going in. We know some of them. And these aren't just, uh, you know, um, young adults. These are adults. These are fathers. These are mothers who are serving. Um, they've, they've left their families to go on reserve duty. Um, some of these are 19-year-old kids who are going to be entering into Gaza potentially. Um, so we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for uh, their protection. 
Um, and so there's a lot of areas that we could pray. Uh, but the big one I've always been telling people is praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Because uh, honestly, when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's a prayer uh, that we see actually come even out of the book of uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke, where J- Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because he wanted Jerusalem to experience the peace that only he could bring. That's why he weeps. He, he, he weeps because he understood that Jerusalem is the centerpiece of, of God's plan, um, and the king was in Jerusalem, but the people did not believe. And so he wept for Jerusalem. But he only wept because he says, if only you knew the peace that was coming to you, be, if, if you had trusted and believed in me. So when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying, come Lord Jesus. And that is not just a come Lord Jesus for me and you um, or for Israelis. It's a come Lord Jesus and bring justice and righteousness to a world that I feel like is falling apart more and more every day. So I think the biggest prayer is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Thank you, Chris. If you want to stand with us as we stand with Israel, visit foi.org slash standwithisrael. Once again, foi.org slash standwithisrael. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm.